Hi, welcome to the second episode of One Take Wonder with Hot Weird Girl. I'm the hot weird girl in question, Alexia. And thank you so much for tuning in, especially if you're a returning listener. I've been blown away in the past week just reading the stats about this podcast. There are a ton of you guys, which is a surreal feeling. I kind of assumed that my family, my close friends, you know, would be listening, but I had no idea that I would reach an international audience. Actually, 20% of the last podcast listeners weren't based in America. I'm just so flattered that so many people listen to the end of the podcast. So many people have given this five stars on Spotify and Apple Music, which I am eternally grateful for. I mean, I, I'm like at a loss for words, which is unusual for me because I like to talk, but thank you so much for being here. If you want to reach me on any of the other social media platforms, it's my username is always hot weird girl, girl with a zero, because I was thinking of the minions and grew. You can find me on Twitter, Instagram, TikTok, where I'm um, most active, and then my YouTube channel. And I actually make YouTube essays every two weeks. So there will be a new YouTube video coming out this Friday, which um, I would love if you guys would check out. I've also decided that I'm going to be uploading these podcast episodes every Monday, um, at least one episode a week. Sometimes if I have a lot of things to say, I'm thinking about planning two. Um, But I just think it's a really great way to connect. If you could give this podcast rating five stars and send it to at least one friend. That would be greatly appreciated. It's so incredibly helpful. Um, Yeah. I mean, it's just, it's a great feeling. I'm so glad you're here. I'm so glad to be able to talk to you guys. And I love the feedback that I've been getting on my TikTok page. If there's something you want me to discuss in particular, um, be sure to leave a comment there. Or again, you can tweet me, reach you on Instagram or YouTube. So let's get into it. Today is going to be more of a mixed bag. We're going to be focusing on three topics. One is being a stay-at-home mom easier than being a woman with a job. Two, we'll be discussing Amazon storefronts. And then we're going to end it with a discussion on hookup culture. I'm really excited for this podcast. So let's get into it. So I left off the last podcast promising that I would discuss stay-at-home moms and how the TikTok soft girl femininity movement, which I almost think it's unfair to call it that. I just don't have the better language. It's such a broad beast. Like in the YouTube video that I'm uploading this Friday, I described it as a hydra where there are multiple heads and they're all equally as dangerous. But at the heart of this hydra is really a desire to capitalize on women's economic and domestic anxieties and offer them a solution through the lens of traditionalism. So what I often see women on TikTok, and honestly, I don't know why I'm just saying TikTok, YouTube, Twitter, is this idea that the working world is too difficult and things would just be easier if they were in the home. And I don't think this could be a more insulting devaluation of the domestic labor expected from women just in general, but especially within a homemaking position. So when we have this discussion, I want you to know that I'm citing some sources that I found in an article from AmericanProgress.org. It's a May 18th, 2018 article titled, An Unequal Division of Labor, How Equitable Workplace Policies Would Benefit Working Mothers. And I picked this article specifically because it has 100 peer-reviewed 
academic sources, Sarah Jane Glynn, the researcher, this is her career's work talking about the subject. And when I give you guys sources, I want you to know that they're always free, they're always easy to understand, and most importantly, they will always lead you to other great sources. I think it's unhelpful when people want to educate themselves to only point them to one or two pieces of pivotal information. So this article, what I'll be reading from, um, I'm just the most comfortable using it because I think it fulfills all those things. So I think we have to start this analysis by acknowledging that the working world in general is harsh, particularly on women. I have faced sexism in the workplace. I've had coworkers and peers make more eye contact with my chest or my figure than they did my face. Um, disparaging comments have been made about, oh, you're so pretty, so I can't assume that you're smart. And then, of course, the most prominent, um, massage noir, which is an effect felt by Black women that is the unique intersection of racism and sexism in the workplace. I always think about an old boss who told me, it looks like there's something wrong with your face, which was not just racist, also sexist. So when I say that these traditional traditionalism movements prey on women's economic anxieties, it sucks. It sucks to get up and go to work in an office where you know that just by virtue of your gender, you won't be taken seriously, you won't be listened to. It puts you in a vulnerable position where you are constantly looking for solutions. And the unfortunate thing is, no matter how much a company touts diversity and equity, you don't really know if it's true until you get there. It's a horrible feeling to think that you're joining a company that values you for your labor, only to find out that there's only white men in positions of power that you will naturally never advance, and that everyone's going to talk down to you because you're a girl, or they'll ask you to take notes at the meeting, or they think that you're the one who cleans up the cake in the break room because you're a woman. There's all of these aggravating little instances of workplace bias that would honestly take an entire podcast to fill. So when I make this criticism, I'm also coming from a place as a woman who's experienced serious sexism, despite the fact that I've only been in the full-time working world since graduating. So that would be about August. Um, and I mean, it's only May right now. I mean, August of 2022. So there's a short time to be in the workplace full time and to already have experienced so much. So really do understand these economic anxieties, but I think we have to be skeptical of the solutions being offered to us. I first came across this idea that being a stay-at-home mom or a homemaker was the easiest choice when I was looking at fashion content, because I love to wear long flowy dresses, my style has shifted over the years. I guess like cottage core wouldn't be the right word because I love the color black and I love long black dresses, but that sort of vibe. And my God, apparently that's been coded with some like traditionalism, trad wife thing. We'll have to do more investigation on that. Truly. Remind me of that. But that's where I first became aware of it. And my immediate thought was, okay, well, that's not a reflection of statistics at all. What are those statistics? Well, first, you should know that regardless of the political affiliation of their male partners, women in heterosexual relationships do the majority of the domestic labor. So that's cooking, cleaning, the mental load of remembering when you need to get groceries, what's in the pantry, when the laundry needs to be performed, how often to do the household maintenance. Additionally, when children come into the equation, 
women are doing the majority of the childcare. And this statistic is regardless of if she works or if she stays at home full time. Um, There's actually not a huge difference, which is depressing when you consider the fact that a woman who's working 40, perhaps more hours a week, is then coming home and taking on the sole responsibilities of caring for her children, cleaning the home, and often the child or the husband takes on a very childlike role through weaponized incompetence and low standards for men. And so she's really doing all of these tasks by herself. It's a horrifying thing. But even if you are a stay-at-home mom, I've seen so many men, men that I know personally and men that I've seen on the internet, insist that their 40-hour, maybe more a week job is somehow a justification why they can't pitch in on weekends. To me, the ideal setup of being a homemaker would be that during those 40 hours, yes, I'm the one who's exclusively responsible for caring for the children, for making sure the home is clean, because I'm the only adult physically present in the home. But when the other adult, the father to my children, comes home, then we're splitting it. Then if anything, I get a break because here's the thing about being a stay-at-home mom or a homemaker, you have no guaranteed vacation days the way you do as a working mom. You have no sick days. You don't even have a break. Um, I think about the fact that when I was 18, 19, 20, 21, those summers when I was in college, I worked at a daycare, specifically in the toddler room. It was exhausting. And I had other adults around me to help. I frequently got breaks and I still left those like long summer days. Sometimes I would just go home and go straight to bed. That is... I mean, that's a crazy burden to put on someone. And we just expect that of women so often. So approaching the idea that being a stay-at-home mom is easier than being a working woman, I mean, you the only conclusion is that you must not recognize how hard these women are working. You must devalue women's labor in the same way that the world devalues women labor, women's labor. Um, when I scrolled through stay-at-home mothers' posts, on TikTok, social media, and actually infiltrated some Facebook groups. Okay, that sounds like a secret spy mission. Infiltrated some Facebook groups. No, okay. I I made a Facebook account and I joined some groups. There was actually no screening process. They let me in. But in the course of my research for this podcast, um, a lot of women are grappling with the fact that society sees them as useless. One of the most common complaints beyond the lack of help from their husbands, and we'll touch on that in a second, is strangers, family members who feel emboldened to ask them, well, don't you feel bad for staying at home on your phone all day? Excuse me? Those women are better than me uh, because I would simply drop my toddler off at their house and say, yeah, you deal with this for eight to nine hours with no help and no other adult to really talk to. Watch how fast you go nuts. So to think that that wouldn't be just as stressful as in nine to five, when your nine to five ends at five is, it's icky to me. I also think because we're told that women are just the natural nurturers, that we don't see the actual job in raising children. Raising a child is about more than just feeding them and cleaning up their scrapes. When you are responsible for a child's early education, those pre-K years, those daycare years, when you're doing it at home, 
you are responsible for teaching your child the fundamentals in a way that would be shared with your child's daycare teachers. But because you're one of the only adults in their life doing it, um, you have to shoulder that burden alone. And that's no small feat. There's a reason why we require lead teachers in preschools and daycares to have some sort of educational background, typically a bachelor's degree, although depending on where you are in America, that might be an associate or that might be, I know some older women are grandfathered in because of all their hours of previous childcare experience. But regardless, typically there is an educational requirement that you have gone to college or beyond and really learned how to educate a child. You've learned about a child's development. You've learned the best ways to educate that child. You understand children on a fundamental innate level, and that's why you've been tasked with caring for them. When you are a stay-at-home mother, that job is completely yours and you're completely on your own. And you may not have that educational background. I'm not saying that that makes you bad at it, but I am just pointing out that you are taking on the role that would typically be expected from someone who has a bachelor's. That's a high level of intelligence and learning needed to execute that job properly. Even just coming up with activities for a toddler to do. I don't know, listeners, if you've spent a lot of time with little kids, they have really, really short attention spans. That's not even a comment about iPad children. Just it's hard to keep a child's attention for a long period of time. So coming up with educational, engaging activities day in and day out because you are the one responsible for their care and playtime and field trips is exhausting. There is a high level amount of organization planning, execution skills that are all needed to do this job effectively and wonderfully. And millions of women in America do it and they get almost no thanks except for maybe on Mother's Day. But then, you know what I'm thinking about? When I worked at a daycare, we always helped the kids design their own Mother's Day present. When you stay at home, do you help your child design a present for you? Can you trust that your husband does it? I hope so. By the way, don't forget to get your mom something for Mother's Day this year. It's a big deal, you know, and, and don't make that day about you. But back to what I was saying. Why would staying at home with children, having to manage and navigate parenthood in an isolated setting while keeping your home clean, why would that be easy? So when, that's why it doesn't hold true for me. When people say, oh, well, just go back into the home or I don't value work. I want to stay home and make my home beautiful. Do you know how much work that inherently is? Just because you're a woman does not mean you know how to best care for your child. It doesn't mean you innately know what to do if your child is neurodivergent or special needs. It doesn't mean that you automatically know the best way to keep your household running the best that it can be. It will take learning and training the same way you did if it was a nine to five. So when people push this narrative, when people upload videos saying, you know, I don't desire to work. I just want to make tiramisu all day and lounge around. I want to be a traditional woman, blah, 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 blah. You are discrediting all the work that traditional women have always done. And like the people who criticized them, you can't even give them a shout out for how hard that labor is. It's sick. 
It is especially heinous to me that people see men's responsibility in the crisis of women shouldering all the domestic and childcare labor as something that's completely unfixable. I literally want to whip my eyelashes out every time I see a post like, listen, do you want to work a nine to five and then come home and do all the cleaning? Why not just skip the nine to five and do the cleaning anyway? Why not just tell that man who lives in your house to start contributing or else? You know, why not teach women to find men who don't see the domestic labor of women as their God-given right, but rather something they automatically need to contribute to because you are a grown-ass man living in this house and you should be expected without prompting to pick up your socks, to mop the floor, to learn what bedtime story your kid wants at night and to learn how to most effectively give them a bath. And if you've never worked with kids and you're like, effectively give them a bath, listen, they're very squirmy and unusually fast. It's a very difficult process, trust me. It it shoulders all the burden. God, patriarchy. Always making women shoulder the burden of men's bad behavior onto them. It's proposing that, oh, well, men are going to behave badly anyway. You might as well not have two jobs while he's acting like an ass. Just have one. Conveniently, the one that puts you in the most precarious financial situation. Because I think I would be remiss if I didn't mention this. Being a stay-at-home mom, I think, is the most precarious job you can have because the American legal system does not recognize the contributions of women's labor. And this is the last point that I want to touch on. It's very difficult to sell the fantasy, and oftentimes that fantasy comes along with the recommendation of buying their course or watching their YouTube or their streams or somehow in the long run getting them paid if they were actually honest about the precarious financial situation that you're in when you are a homemaker. Relying solely on one person's income puts you in the position where you don't have any financial autonomy, which has worked out disastrously for women in the past. Now, I'm not saying that this couldn't work for any women or that there aren't women out there who are truly being cared for financially by their male partners. But I'm saying if you know that you want that future for yourself, then picking the right partner is paramount. It's the most important thing you could do because if you pick wrong, unlike working women who will have a salary and the financial means to walk away, you're in a more strapped position. And as I said earlier, the American legal system, despite what these content creators will try to tell you, is not set up to... um, you know, reward women for their domestic labor. You can't go in front of a judge in most of the United States jurisdictions and say, well, I gave up my career. I sacrificed all these years with the kids. You know, I'm entitled to X, Y, and Z. Unless you live in a community property state, typically you'll get laughed out of the courtroom. So what they should be discussing is all the legal ways to protect yourself. Like if you want to stay at home and you know that that's in your vision, I would talk to a licensed family law attorney in your jurisdiction and see what their recommendations are that would work for your life and where you live. And I say that because if you're an international listener, the 50 states of America all have different legal systems for their states. So what may fly in Texas is going to be totally inappropriate in Pennsylvania. But I really think 
part of selling this traditionalist fantasy is lying about the real dangers of being a stay-at-home mom, lying about the fact that men's behavior can change and that it's not unreasonable um, or unrealistic to demand that your male partner pitches in and helps care for the home and the child. And it completely devalues the very real labor that women are doing every day in caring for their home and their children. So the next time you see a post like that, I think it's prudent to remind them of all the work that homemakers are doing. And I felt especially compelled to say this on the eve of Mother's Day. So now getting into our second topic. This is a huge pivot, but I hate Amazon storefronts. I hate the Amazon storefrontification of everything because I think people are getting lost in what it means to be an influencer. An influencer, as the name should let people know, is someone who has influence. It's someone who has a certain riz, a je ne sais quoi, something that makes them cool, something that makes you want to emulate them. Nobody wants content from the influenced. I say this because so many people are entering the content creation space with the sole goal of making money. Now, I would be lying if I said that as a content creator, I wasn't cognizant of the money there is to be made in content creation. Any creator who puts their work on the internet and tells you they don't think about money at all is lying. Everyone is very keenly aware that if you are successful in this, if you work hard and if you just have a little bit of luck, your audience can take you to bank account numbers you might have never seen otherwise in your life. It can put you in rooms with people um, you could have never conceptualized. It can open and change your life in amazing ways. But that cannot be the end goal of content creation because it will always degrade your authenticity with your audience. And this is a controversial opinion, but I don't think anyone is owed a check because they upload their content to the internet. I understand why it's an important conversation we need to be having, especially as you know, a black woman in the content creation space. And just at the time that I'm filming, filming this, filming this, sorry. Um, at the time that I'm filming this, Tarte is currently in some hot water for how they've mistreated their black creators, which is not surprising because this is a brand that didn't even make content in my shade six years ago. I say this because so many people are entering the content creation space with the sole goal of making money. You are not owed money. You are not owed a bag because you decided to upload your content on the internet. If you end up making money from it, that's great. And any content creator or influencer who tells you that they don't think about the potential to make life-changing money, to be in life-changing conversations with people because of the content you put out there, the opportunities that could be afforded to you if you work hard, if you're successful, and if you just have a little bit of luck, yeah, we're we're all aware of that. I'm not going to lie to you. But it's not the sole reason for making content. You have to have some love in the game, regardless of what you're making content about. You have to genuinely love it. I know for me personally, I was an English major, an English psych double in college. I love writing. um, And I also like to think that one of my gifts is speaking. And so TikTok afforded me a way to be able to put my writing out there and also talk and have conversations with people who were thinking just like me, which is something that I'd really been missing since I graduated from undergrad. Um, So that's why I did it. That's why I'm doing this now. And while I would love um, if more successful avenues come my way, 
it's important to me to maintain my integrity. And I don't think you can maintain integrity while being focused on money. Why? Because solely being concerned about a bag will always get you tripped up in some way. And I think the best example is what's going on with the Tarte brand right now. So if you weren't aware, um, Tarte, a high-end makeup brand, is in hot water for racism allegations again, which is unsurprising. Six years ago, they didn't even carry my shade in stores, and they pretty much had to be bullied into a diverse shade range because of Fenty Beauty. They'd been called out by many influencers prior. I mean, this isn't surprising, but over the past two years, they've been hosting a series of brand trips. One creator, a Black woman, pointed out that she was being different or differently treated, that she felt like it was discrimination, and the CEO responded by making a very condescending, gaslighty, get ready with me video, explaining that there had been a, quote, miscommunication, basically laughing and shrugging it off. And then two Black TikTokers um, were invited to go on the trip in her stead. And there's some unfortunate videos of them going live, making fun of the original creator who brought up her initial issues with Tarte. That is the shortest rundown I can give of this situation. But depending on when you listen to this podcast, if you open your For You page, you'll get way more context. What you need to know is that the reputations of these two TikTokers is now in question, which is a huge problem because your integrity as a creator, that's all you have. All you are as a content creator is the trust that your audience has in you, especially when you are making influencing content. Your audience has to trust that you give them reliable advice. They have to know that when you tell them to spend their hard-earned money, especially with the economy being what it is right now, that when you're telling them, oh, go spend your money, that they're spending it on something that will actually work, on something that will actually better their lives. So going back to the whole, you can't just be in this for the love of money, the damage to those two creators' reputation will long outweigh any benefits that could have been brought to them by essentially being the replacements to save Tarts racist face. And that's pretty serious. It takes years and dedication to build up an audience who sees you as an authority figure, who respects your opinion, and who looks to you for commentary, critique, recommendations, tutorials, how-tos, day in my life. Like That is not something that comes to 99.9% .9 of content creators overnight. And trust is the reason why people follow you. It's the reason why people tune into your podcast. It's, it's the reason why they fuck with you. To me, the way that Amazon storefronts encourage people to hawk shitty products is a degradation on their character as an influencer, as a content creator. And it doesn't matter to Amazon that that's the end result because truly what you're participating in is unpaid advertisements. When a brand wants you to advertise their product, typically um, you know, their brand PR person will reach out to you and they offer you a rate. When an influencer talks about the rate that they charge, um, to use their personal feed to promote a brand, a product, whatever. The reason why they charge rates is because, yeah, I need to be monetarily compensated for the access that you get to my audience. 
you want my audience so bad? Pay me for the opportunity. It's why advertisers pay to put their ads on the Super Bowl or other sports games. It's why billboards exist. It is something that costs money to get access to someone's audience. Amazon, very cleverly, is paying very few people by offering this pennies on the dollar form of compensation. Typically, the amount that people are pulling in on Amazon storefronts, maybe $500, I've seen asking some of my friends that have them, you know, for a video that gets half a million views. Yeah, that's not enough. Um, you could have made thousands in a proper brand deal, but instead you're promoting Amazon and Amazon is tossing you a few coins. It's like working a 40-hour work week for free, but then you get a $20 tip. Is that $20 really worth it? No. Does that make sense? Like, you're not even getting properly paid or credited for the work that is finding these products on Amazon and putting them on my Amazon storefront. But what you're doing is really making sure that your audience can never trust you. I know personally, the one time I spent money on an Amazon storefront on a product that all the girls were raving about and it sucked that I was like, okay, I just put money in her pocket. I just did all of this and it doesn't even work. Why would I ever listen to her again? And that's what's happening with TikTok over and over and over again. I just need to stop that here. Because the thing is, these Amazon products are never good. They're never things that will give longevity. They're never worth the money. Honestly, if you've ever been in a TJ Maxx or a Marshalls, a lot of Amazon storefronts are giving that miscellaneous aisle vibe. And one thing that I've noticed about these Amazon storefront creators is very, very, very few of them who solely make their content just about selling products on Amazon actually have a built-up audience. What ends up happening is they have a couple viral videos, but they don't have a lot of people coming back for more or wanting engagement because they're just advertisers, right? And contrary to popular opinion, being a content creator is about more than just being an advertisement right? It is being an authority on something, whether it's fashion, commentary, music. It's being a friend to people who want that from their internet personality. It's being a comedian. It's being a big sister. It's being something. But when the crux of your content is just, hey, buy this. You should buy this. This makes me feel better. Buy this then you've really got nothing to offer your audience. The other thing is, is that hawking these products over and over again, you can't have a lot of individuality or style. You can't choose what you want to push on your audience because you need something that's very standard and template and cookie cutter. And oftentimes that results in very minimalist, and I, I hate minimalism so much. Why the idea that you need to have less things means that all the things you have is beige and depressing? Like, I don't know when it became cool to have the same aesthetics as the pink, the pixies from Fairly Odd Parents, but it makes me want to barf. Back to what I was saying, it often results in this very cookie cutter, no personality, minimalist beige aesthetic. And I mean, ultimately, you won't get any longevity. No one is going to have a 10-year career on the internet as an Amazon content creator. They just won't. And that's going back to what I said about nobody wants content from the influenced. 
because that doesn't make you an influencer. Noting that everyone wants chapstick and then trying to hawk a bunch of chapsticks that someone can conveniently buy off your Amazon storefront, you're not an influencer. You're just an underpaid advertiser who can't even recognize the value of the labor they're doing for a billion-dollar company. So going into our final topic, hookup culture. I think the way we talk about hookup culture is problematic, and I don't think either extreme, whether it's telling girls that the only way to feel confident and empowered is through hypersexuality, or telling girls that the only way to feel confident and empowered is celibacy, really does anyone any favors. Instead, what I think needs to be taught to girls, I say girls, like I'm talking about like high schoolers, um, starting at a young age is that the best way to approach anything regarding intimacy and sex is boundaries and how to assert those boundaries. And no matter which side of the coin you choose, or if you fall somewhere in the middle, you are deserving of respect. I'm not here to judge anyone for whatever choices they make in their intimacy journey. I just want to point out that neither conversation really focuses on healthy boundaries. So just looking at the more permissive side of things, um, the embracing hookup culture, I find that so many of my friends, so many girls that I see on TikTok are completely unaware that they're deserving of kindness, decency, and respect, even in a hookup situation. Someone who has that intimate of access to your body, even if they have no other commitments to you except for being in that bed with you absolutely owes you those things. And I think the the root cause of why hookup culture is going so poorly for so many women, especially women in their 20s the way I am, is because we're taught that it's an either or situation, that when you're the Madonna, you get the respect, but if you act like a whore, then you get no respect. Well, you shouldn't expect that a guy who's hooking up with you should walk you to your car or call an Uber or make sure that you're safe or ask you basic questions about your day and your life because that's too much. That's a problem. You wouldn't walk away from situations feeling used and degraded in a situation where you were actually being cared for, regardless of if there was a relationship dynamic there. And then, you know, the other thing, again, this benefits men because men are taught that it's okay to just treat women like garbage. And then, you know, the women who get thrown away like trash, they're told, oh, well, you should have expected that. It was just a hookup. But boundaries teaching girls these boundaries that whoever has intimate access to your body must treat you a certain way and you must have these certain things from them, that would be healthier. And what I see is the problem with the extreme of um, like a purity culture or saying, well, celibacy is the only way is it puts this extreme pressure that sex absolutely, you know, you have to have vetted the person properly. And I think that kind of relates back to the problem that I have with like chastity culture or, you know, staying celibate is that the boundaries are a bit too extreme. Not that the idea of not sleeping with anyone you don't find worthy is extreme. I think that should be a base level for anyone. It's more just the idea that, you know, you can only experience this 
with a person in a certain situation, that's a new kind of constriction. Even if it's made out of an altruistic desire to see women do better, I I don't think we should have any constraints around our bodies and that we should be marketed to and messaged that there's a certain way to approach a healthy sex life other than do what makes you feel best. What makes one woman feel the best will make another woman feel bad and vice versa. What we should ultimately be focusing on is empowering women to have conversations about safety, protection, and boundaries and so that they can make their voices heard and then vet their partners accordingly. This was a shorter part of the segment. I just kind of wanted to get that out there because it's something I think about often and I really don't think it's any more complicated than that. I think when women come forward and they talk about their poor experiences with hookup culture, they're a victim to the fact that no one ever taught them they could assume or they could set the boundary of being treated with decency and respect in a situation with casual sex. And when women come forward and they talk about their bad experiences with purity culture, I don't I don't think it's any deeper than someone told you that your sexuality is a constriction upon you and that how you get to exercise that comes with so many constraints in a way that makes sex when it eventually happens almost unpleasurable for you. So I wanted to leave off with that point. This is the end of the podcast. Please, if you're at the end of the podcast and you enjoyed this, please leave a review on um, Apple Podcasts, Spotify. Please send it to a friend. I will see you guys next Monday. If you want to give feedback about the podcast or anything you want to talk about, tweet me, Instagram me, hit me up on TikTok. I'm always on my phone and I'm always listening to your guys' feedback. And thank you so much for making it to the end of episode two. Love you. Bye.